Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right. Want to uh, welcome everybody who's here. Welcome all of you online. If we haven't met, I'm Chip Free, the lead teaching pastor here at our one church, and we don't know how many locations anymore. We have folks tuning in from Mexico and uh, Indianapolis and other places. We're just glad you're with us uh, for this next 30 or so minutes uh, together. Um, Mother's Day is is a day that conjures up all kinds of emotions for all kinds of individuals. You know, we can't ever assume that we're gathering like this and that we're not sitting next to a condition that's very different than our own. This is the problem with our world today is everybody's imposing themselves on everyone else. And the truth is, if God would have wanted George, God would have made George. If God wanted Mary, God would have made Mary. But God made you and you and me. And we come in with different emotions and different things. Some people on Mother's Day, it's a time of great joy and great celebration. I just uh, delivered some of my favorite uh, chicken parmesan. Our food ministry is so cool, man. If you ever need a meal or, or something's going on, just go to garfieldchurch.org slash meal ministry and sign up for if you'd like to help deliver meals. But we had another newborn at Garfield. What's going on here? What is in the water at Garfield Memorial Church, man? But I just went and delivered that, and and I know there's families celebrating, right? And there's families mourning, right? Uh, My wife and I, my brother-in-law is here from Las Vegas. I'm so honored to have him here. Um, My kids, we we lost both of my moms, our moms, both of our kids' grandchildren in the first two years that we were here at Garfield. So those emotions get conjured up. What if somebody's single? What, where you feel like, well, Mother's Day is not for me. You know, what are those who have st- struggled to have children and not able to? If I do my job today against the word that Bill read for us, and more importantly, if the Holy Spirit does his job, which he usually does, sometimes we're just not listening. I want us to leave here today knowing that whatever condition we came in, whoever we are, we are recipients of the greatest eternal mother's love in the history of the world. Amen. You heard that verse, can a mother forget the child at her breast or not have compassion for the child she has born? Though she may forget, says the Lord, I will not forget you. I want those words to drill down in your heart today. I want them to mean something by the time we come to the end of the service. But I don't want this to be all heavy. I start off a little heavy. Uh, I want us, let's start off with a little levity before we dig into the text. I was looking at something. There was a, a very well-known newspaper that did an article, and they, they pulled a thousand mothers this Mother's Day uh, across the world, really. It was out, based out of London. And they said, tell us Mother's Day gifts that you hate. But you never had the courage to tell the person that gave it to you you hated it. And we're going to rank the worst Mother's Day gifts ever given in the history of the world. See, I'm doing this for your benefit because when you leave today, Target is still open. 
So if you made this list, okay, before you go to the restaurant, Walmart, Target, even CVS, okay? So do you want to see the top 12 things that, that mothers got that they wish they hadn't? These, are ser- these came from moms. These are serious gifts that were given to moms for Mother's Day. Okay, the number one worst gift given to mom for Mother's Day was deodorant. <laughs> which is basically saying to your mom, you stank, right? Like, okay, that's number one. The second worst one, I want to party with this family. Some mother, the second worst one for Mother's Day, they got a fire extinguisher. <laughs> What's going on in that house, right? Number three, of course, moms get cleaning supplies. Thank you. Thank you so much, right? The next three are, are, are things where I guess they didn't take mom out to eat. They went the cheap way. Um, number four was a stick of French bread. Number five was salad dressing. Number six was popcorn. I mean, these guys, they're going all out here, man. You know, okay? Okay. Number seven, an ant farm. Now, look, that's cool if you're three. If you're 30, it's a crime. You should go to prison, okay? Uh, Number eight, mom sure appreciated getting hair dye. Won't say anything about that. Uh, Now our southern blue-collar folks show up. Number nine was a screwdriver. Who does this? Number 10 was a roll of toilet paper. Like, really? Okay, I I know it got quiet in here. Did you do that? Okay. Number 11 was a calculator. I thought at at least it's worth more than 15 bucks. Okay. And number 12 was car parts. I'm sure mom appreciated that. Okay, now, they also did something where they actually uh, decided the worst Mother's Day cards that were ever produced in the last three years. These are actual Mother's Day cards. There was pictures on them and statements. And anybody ever had college kids, kids come home from college? You know, they bring stuff with them, right? Look at this Mother's Day card. Don't ever send this one. Mom, I love you loads. Speaking of loads. Those are laundry bags. Two college parents in here got that joke. Okay. The next one, this was another Mother's Day card. Sorry this card is late. I guess someone wasn't raised properly. Don't send that card. That's a bad card. This is number three. I'm awesome. You're welcome to the luckiest mom ever. This is, these are the kids that terrorize the world. I'm telling you. Okay. And the last one, I love this one. Mom, thanks for always checking up on me. One missed call from dad, 36 missed calls from mom. So that was just a little, you know, maybe you relate to that. Um, but let's, let's get serious for a moment. In Isaiah, we see uh, the word of God giving this incredible statement. Um, can a mother forget the child at her breast? Can she not have compassion for the child that was born? Um, These passages don't come up in a vacuum, okay? One of the pet peeves I have currently, um, and this has happened through hundreds of years. People use the Bible to justify everything. But in the past four or five years, there's been a frenzy of ripping verses out of their context and just applying them to whatever controversial topic I want to talk about. You cannot do that to the scriptures. That is biblical abuse. You have to, every scripture has a historical context. Every scripture was written in original language. And I know we think it was written in English. English was about the sixth translation down the line. 
So we have to understand these things, right? This doesn't happen in a vacuum. So where did that verse, where did that Mother's Day verse I'm doing, where did it come from? It came in this prophecy, Isaiah, which if we'd have read, I'm only talking about verse 14, 15, and 16, but if we've read all 13 verses of that chapter 49, what is happening is there's this figure called the servant of the Lord, and the servant of the Lord is going to come, and the servant of the Lord is going to bring salvation. And all the New Testament writers say that servant of the Lord is Jesus. 600 years before he was born, God was speaking through Isaiah saying, I'm sending one in who will usher in a whole new kingdom. And, and what this says is that, look, there's a salvation coming soon. There's a salvation coming eventually, a greater salvation, and there's a greatest salvation coming ultimately. And God is speaking specifically to Israel who is right now in exile in Babylon. Hebrew scholars say it's amazing Judaism even survived the exile. It was so horrid that Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, the city was burned to the ground, and they were taken off into exile in a foreign land. The three most crucial moments in the history of Judaism, the three most horrible moments, were 300 years of slavery in Egypt, 100 years in exile in Babylon, and the Holocaust. They are in hurt. They are in lament. We thought God lived in the temple. Now here we are in a foreign land. And God comes and says, look, I've got great news of salvation that's coming soon. You're going to go back to the land. Right? If you heard some of the verses written there, you'll go back to the land. But God said, not only am I going to bring you back to the land, that'd be great in and of itself, but eventually there's even going to be a greater salvation where, where we have that verse in uh, verse 6 that says, it is too small a thing for you, my servant, for you, Jesus, to restore the tribes of Jacob, those of Israel. That's Israel bringing them back home. He said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That was unheard of for Israel, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And we see when Jesus comes, the ministry to non-Jews starts happening, and then Paul is commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So, so there's a great salvation coming soon. There's an eventual salvation that's even greater. And then if you heard what Bill read, it said one day the mountains will shout. And that's the greatest ultimate salvation, where God brings in the new heaven and the new earth, and death will be no more. And weeping will be no more. You heard those in Isaiah, and they're echoed in Revelation. But what happens is, here's this 13-verse amazing declaration of God. He is talking all about the glories of salvation, and then all of a sudden, verse 14 interrupts it. This would be like you're at Yale, you're at Stanford, you're sitting under one of the greatest experts in their field, they just get started with their lecture and some snot-nosed kids throws up their hand, interrupts them and says, I don't believe anything you just said. What would that professor say? Do you think he'd say, as a mother cannot forget a nursing child? No, I don't think so, right? But that's what God does. God allows himself to be interrupted because he cares about us that much. He relates to us in pain so much that he came to us in the suffering servant, in the crucified Savior. And God allows himself to be arrested. So that verse 14, what Israel begins to cry out, that's what I call the painful question. When we look at verse 15, that's God's loving answer. And when we get to verse 16, that's God's cure for the pain. But this is, this is first uh, the painful question. 
right? But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. In other words, hey, this soon salvation, this eventual salvation, this ultimate salvation, that sounds great, but I got problems now. I am suffering right now, right? I'm hurting now. I, I, they don't say they don't believe in God. They don't say that. They don't say, I don't believe in your promises. They're just saying, I can't feel them. And see, that's what happens when you are in grief. It sometimes turns, you, you understand the truth about God, you understand it, but it just grief kind of renders it unreal. You know it in your head, but you can't feel it in your heart. Who am I preaching to? That you have said these words before, I just think God has forgotten me. I just think God has forsaken me. I got to tell you, I had some of those emotions these past two years as a pastor of a church with everything going on, man. You're like, Lord, you know, if you're going to do something, please hurry up, right? I always say, God, give me the, the gift of patience, but hurry up about it. Like, you know, I need you now, right? I'm hurting now. And it's a painful question. We've all been there. We've all been in the valley where we're, we're crying out to God, have you forsaken me? Do you remember me? And here's the good news for you. Zion's asking this question. You know who Zion was? That's Israel. Mount Zion is where the temple was built, but the temple was destroyed. So now Zion is talking to the people of God. So if you're like a believer in what I'm talking about, if you believe in God and you believe in Jesus and all these things, and you have these feelings, it's okay. You know, don't have some Christian neo-Nazi come up in your face and say, well, you know, if you really had faith, you would never ask these questions. Tell them to read Isaiah 49, 14. Zion said, and if you're not a believer and you're here today, thank you for taking the risk to us. Or if you're online and you're not sure you believe this stuff and maybe some things go bad in your life and you go, I'm being forsaken because I don't believe in God. Let me tell you something. Those of us who believe in God get feel forsaken and forgotten too. So you're okay. This is part of this message together, okay? And so we all know this feeling, this God forsakenness. But then God comes with this loving answer. This is where I want to land my plane. God, notice what God doesn't say. They're lamenting, they're crying out, and God doesn't show up and say, buckle up. Have a stiff upper lip. Where's your faith, O Israel? No, he's so gentle. He cares so much. I was a year and a half out of seminary when my mom called me and told me my oldest sister, who was 44 years at the time, had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. If you know anything about that form of cancer, by the time they find it, you're in real trouble. Marilyn would only live another four months. And uh, I was a year and a half out of seminary, and I was, became her chaplain, and we would read scripture together, and she was a deep person of faith. And she said to me, Chip, I only have one request to you. I said, what's that? She said, will you preach my funeral? I'm a year and a half out of seminary, man. They don't teach you this stuff. This is my big sister. And I preached a sermon that day and preached her service. And we had a, a time we were grieving and celebrating God's good news, promises. And, you know, I'm up there preaching. We had the service and we went to the gravesite and we, we said our goodbyes. And then we had the food. And, and the problem with ministry is you always have to be on. And you have to encourage everybody else, even when you're discouraged yourself. 
So after that was all gone, I went back. We lived in North Ridgeville at the time, and I had taken that Sunday off. There was a Baptist pastor who was across the street from me. His name was William Candwell. He was Jamaican. He was probably 30 years older than me, but we loved each other. We did ministry very differently, but we loved each other. And he knew I was hurting. He said, look, pastor, uh, I can't do a Jamaican accent, but he said, I'll cover your, your pulpit. We'll take care of it, Bethany. We'll get one of the deacons to preach. So he was preaching for me. I was in such grief. I was just, I didn't even want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go to the church. I had just poured out on that Saturday. Terry took the kids. They went to Bob Evans. My brother-in-law knows why that's a joke. My wife always goes to Bob Evans. I used to like Bob Evans. We've been married 33 years. By year seven, I didn't like Bob Evans anymore. Yeah. She took him to Bob Evans and went out there. And I'm sitting there, and I'm feeling horrible. And I see Pastor Campbell's car coming up the street to my house. And I'm like, oh, no. I just want to be alone. But, I mean, the man just preached for me. He was a little bit of a Bible thumper. He a little more hellfire and brimstone than I was, but we loved each other. And I just said, I know he's going to come to the door, and he's going to assault me with scriptures. But I'm mad, at, I'm mad at God right now. I don't want to do this. And he came to the door, and he opened the door, and I said, hey, Pastor, how are you? He said, Pastor, I just came here to cry with you. And for the next 20 minutes, that's what we did. And he left. And it was the best pastoral presence or care I've ever received in my life. That's how God deals with Israel. When they're feeling forsaken and forgotten. He doesn't show up with a lot of, you know, oh, you no good sinner. You infidel, right? He comes compassionately and says, you're feeling forgotten? Can a mother forget the child at her breast? See, this is language of a mom. Guess what? When you need God to be a mom, she will be. God is not always Morgan Freeman. <laughs> we learned in the shack that God can be Octavia Spencer. Come on, somebody. When God showed up at the burning bush, he said, when Moses said, who are you? He said, I am what I am. What does that mean? He said, I am what I am. I am what you need me to be when you need me to be it. I am a blank check. You fill in the blank. And, and God shows up in this way and appears to, to him as a, as a mom. And, and not just as a mom, as a nursing mom. And, and this is a metaphor. We know that's not all that God is. God's not just a father. God's not just a mother. We know, you know, God is speaking to us in metaphors. That's why Jesus spoke to them in parables. Drove his disciples crazy. Like he said, why don't you just tell us step one, step two, step three, step four. Preachers do that. Why don't you do it? He said, because I want him to go deeper. That's what Jesus said. I want him to think. I want him to feel. And then God gives us this image. I'm like a nursing mother, but I'm, but I'm not completely like a nursing mother. He's causing us to think. He's causing us to wrestle with that metaphor. So I wrestled with it, and I thought, what does it mean that God's a nursing mother? And I realized I have no experience in this field. <laughs> so I read a book, and I talked to my wife, and I came up with three things. Why can't a nursing mother forget her infant? A mother can't forget physically. Because if you talk to a mother who's nursed or is nursing, whatever, they'll tell you when you're nursing, you don't need to set an alarm clock to nurse. Your body tells you, right? It's releasing prolactins. Did I tell you I read a book? Okay. It's releasing prolactins. And the mother's physical nature by virtue is moving toward that child. So she can't forget the child physically. And she can't forget the child emotionally. Because not only when they're breastfeeding as a mom releasing prolactins, they're also releasing 
oxytocins. I was so afraid I was going to say oxycotton. So I, pra- I practiced that all night. Oxytocins. And what that chemical is, when that's released in your body, it makes you feel delight, contentment. Y'all, y'all, you're like, Chip, you need to go back and read four books. Okay. But, but you know, it, it, you're drawn to your child emotionally physically, your essence of who you are as a mom. And God, the God of the universe says, that's what I'm like. My very essence is drawn to you. My very being is drawn to you. My glory is drawn to you. My holiness is drawn to you. My grace is drawn to you. It's so drawn to you. It's innate to who I am. I have created you in my own image. And every time I look at you, I want to sing. And so I know you're feeling forgotten. I know you're feeling forsaken. But I'm like a nursing mother, and I can't forget you. And the other thing is, mothers cannot forget because their love for that infant is unconditional. Have you ever thought about that? To me, it's it's almost maybe the only unconditional love in the in the physical realm. Because I I love my wife. We're working on 35 years together, and she's my best friend. And I can't have a better marriage. But you know, it wasn't unconditional. When you get married, what do you have to do? You have to stand up and take vows, right? It's not unconditional. You say, oh, I'll take a vow. I promise I'll be faithful. I'll forsake all others in sickness and health and richer and poor. And they say it back to you. Why do we do that? Because a relationship, we're, we're committing to it. We're, we're intentionally going to that. We're making, you know, commitments. And it's going to be give and take. There's no relationship that can work. Not friendships, not marriages, unless there's give and take. With a mother and an infant, is there give and take? Oh, yes, there is. But the infant is all take. (laughs) And the mother is all give. And and even when they're four, and, and, you know, you want to say, you don't know the sacrifices I've made for you. They're like, what? That's why God created adults. Right? Like, like this, is, this is a situation that it's, it's all take. The mother is in all give. The infant is doing nothing to merit the love that it's receiving that requires your 24-hour a day, seven day a week, absolute care. And God said, I'm like that. You're an infant, and you can contribute nothing to me being God. And you're take, 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 take all the time. And you're completely self-centered, but yet I absolutely unconditionally love you. And if that burned deep down in your heart, I mean, it was activated every day, would you be the same person that you are sitting in this chair right now? This is what he's given us this metaphor for. This is why he's giving us this story. How sacrificial, how unconditional, how indestructible is a perfect mother's love. And God says, this is the God of the universe saying, I'm like that and more. Because do you hear what he said? Yeah, you heard what he said. I know. Amen. I got an infant. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I know the Holy Spirit's here. Actually, what they said was, Pastor Chip, what do you mean about infants are all take? That's what that was. I guess. But, you know, here's what God said. This is really tricky. And this is why, you know, you guys pay me the big bucks to study Hebrew and Greek and really study context. Because he says this one. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget. Now, I just told you why they 
won't forget. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. I want to let you know, every English translation says, though she may forget, and they're all wrong. The Hebrew does not say, though she may forget. I don't think the English translators had the courage to tell you what it says. It says, though she will forget, I will not forget you. It doesn't say, though she may forget, though she will forget. See, I am like a nursing mom, but I'm even more than a human nursing mom. Because you know, there's some human moms that will forget. We see parents that abuse their children and don't fulfill their parent duties. And, and, and a mother's love is, is indestructible, but, but all of our human, human, a mother's love is not, a human mother's love is not indestructible because human beings aren't indestructible. But God says, I have a love that is eternal. I have a love that will never die, that cannot be destroyed. I have that kind of love toward you. I, um, I read a, a, a book years ago, this was, I think, in college. It was called Something Beautiful for God. It was written by Malcolm Muggridge. Malcolm Muggridge was a BBC reporter. He was also an atheist and a communist. And he was assigned the task to spend time and interview Mother Teresa. Isn't God good? And so he spent years with Mother Teresa and they did a documentary and then he wrote the book, Something Beautiful for God. And he was completely captivated by Mother Teresa and her deep compassion for the poor. But he was an unbeliever and he couldn't accept her faith. And uh, his big issue was, and I preached on this a couple weeks ago here and last week at South Euclid, that the greatest thing that causes people to reject Christianity is not that they don't believe in God, they don't believe in the church. And we've given a lot of reason for that. And Mugridge said he couldn't believe in God because of the way that people behave in the church. And so he was walking in London with Mother Teresa and he told her this. And he said it had little effect on her. And later they became good friends. She wrote him a letter and sent him a devotional book. And let me read an excerpt from the letter. This is Mother Teresa speaking to Malcolm Mugridge. She said, I think I understand you better now. I don't know why. But you to me are like Nicodemus, and I'm sure the answer is the same, unless you become like a little child. I'm sure you will understand beautifully everything if you would only become a little child in God's hands. Your longing for God is deep, and he loves you so much. So as to give Jesus to die for you and for me, Christ is longing to be your food, surrounding you with the fullness of living food. Yet you continue to allow yourself to starve. The perfect love of Christ has for you is infinite. The small difficulty you have regarding his church is finite. Overcome the finite with the infinite. Christ has created you because he wanted you. And then she ends with these words. I know what you feel. A terrible longing with dark emptiness. And yet, God is the one in love with you. She went straight out of Isaiah 49. I'm straight out of Youngstown, but she was straight out of Isaiah 49. She went there. Did you hear the painful question? You have a terrible longing with dark emptiness, but God's loving answer, the God of the universe, is the one in love with you. Um, years ago also, I, I was listening to an NPR broadcast. I think it was in 2015 or 2016. 
and they were interviewing a guy named uh, Jose Miguel Sokoloff. He was a marketing expert, and the Colombian government, he was Colombian himself, they hired him because they were having this turbulence in Colombia at the time with the government and also with the uh, uh, communist guerrillas, and there was like a civil war, and by the year 2010, they were starting to make some inroads, and the government and the families were calling the guerrillas, come on down from the mountains, come on down, we're going to rebuild our communities, but they were so afraid, they're like, will my family accept me? Will my community receive me? Will I be killed? So he was commissioned, this marketing guy, to do a marketing program, and in 2012, he did a program at Christmas called Mother's Voices. And what he did was he got 37 moms of 37 of the men who were, you know, uh, the, the fighting in the hills. And he said, give me pictures of them when they were very young. I mean, not pictures where somebody would recognize them, where they would only recognize themselves. And then right on beneath that picture, you 37 talk together. One message from all you moms you would like to say to your sons in the hills. And so he took that and he put pictures of it and they made little posters and they put them in trees and they put thousands of them all through the mountains and on shacks and other places that they might travel by. And these guys would go by and they would see themselves as a child and beneath it they would see in the handwriting of their mom, before you were a gorilla, you were my son. Come back home. I'm waiting for you. And one by one in the mountains of Christmas, before the Christmas holiday, they had all laid down their arms and gone home. See, that's the voice that you're hearing. Even in the midst of your frustration, your despair, even those of you, my atheist friends who are listening online, that's the voice that's been nagging at you. It's the voice of your eternal heavenly mother saying, I'm waiting for you. Come home. You're my son. You're my daughter. Come home. Can a mother forget? And God says, I'm even more fixed on you than that. So as God wraps this up, see, that would have been a sermon at the end. You know, you're my beloved child. I'm waiting for you. Come home. Uh, Amen. But the problem is right now all we've had is words. See, and I, I, people I talk to sometimes, well, the Bible's just words, or, you know, talk about God's just words. Well, they ask words with a question. God gives words with an answer. But how many know if you want to know you're truly loved, words finally aren't enough? So God takes action, and he gives God's cure for the pain. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. See, words are important, friends. They're very important. I mean, Terry and I have been together a long time. I can still remember where I was. I can still remember when it was the first time I said the words, I love you. They're important. But if I had left it there... And I'd have said that, but then I had, didn't demonstrate my love. I didn't follow through on my love. Then she would, by, by definition, feel forsaken. Because forsaken is, I thought I could you know, trust you. I thought I was in your love, but I've been cast out. I've been laid aside. I've been, there, there's no action verifying this, right? And that's why God seals the deal. He comes in and says, I'm not just loving you with words. I'm, I'm loving you with action, right? I'm here to show you the big picture. You're groveling in the moment, and I get that, right? Um, you know, when you raise children sometimes, you know, you see the big picture, right? But, but children, they don't see that big picture. They're concerned with the now. My youngest son is here. Was he the only one 
in this room, the only parent-child that threw tantrums and laid down on the floor at Toys R Us? Is that, I'm the only one, right? Millennials are going, Toys R Us? Oh, Walmart, right? I mean, you know, because I have to have that action figure at this moment, and God's saying, I know you think that's what you need right now, but let me show you what's been given to you before you even knew you were born. That God came in the form of Jesus. That God so loved you. God was so drawn to you like a mother to an infant. God was so drawn to you that God gave everything he had. He emptied emptied heaven and gave his one and only son out of love. And, and, And that son, would we know, would end up on a cross, right? And now you see these words, see I've engraved you. On the palms of my hands. God, God didn't say, speaking about the servant that wasn't to come, he didn't say, I've tattooed you on my hands. See, that was actually a practice that was done in the ancient world. If there was a master and a servant, the master would tattoo his name on the servant. And it was a loving relationship. It wasn't the way we understand that in context. But it was a way of saying the servant, you know, was serving the master. Now, if, if God would have said, I'm allowing your name to be tattooed on me, that would be cool enough because it would be the master saying, look, you're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. But this goes even further. It doesn't say it was tattooed. It says it was engraved. And in the Hebrew, to engrave something meant this literal word, the way it was, that you were engraving something with a hammer and a chisel or a hammer and a spike. And they had to say, who in the world would allow themselves to be engraved, to have a hammer and a spike go in the palms of their hand out of love? And as we learned on Easter Sunday here, centuries later, a man named Thomas... Right? You remember if you were here on Easter, you know the story. It's called Doubting Thomas. That's a bad name for him. He was, as we said, wounded Thomas. He was hurting Thomas. Jesus was killed. Thomas was hurting. He was like 14. I'm for God's forgotten us. God's forsaken us. His friends were saying, no, he's risen. He's risen. He's risen. But he was absolutely inconsolable. And Jesus came to Thomas. And what did he say? Thomas, look at the palms of my hand. Look how much I love you. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ is the cure for the pain. Paul Romans says it this way. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what we're looking for. This is what we really need. This is what God has come to give in us. So if you're feeling forsaken, if you're feeling forgotten, if you're feeling overlooked, maybe your parents have forsaken you. Here's the good news. Psalm 2710 says, if mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. We have a God who pursue. How many of you know uh, moms will move heaven and earth to come after you? Mine sure did. You remember that 47 missed calls? <laughs> 47 missed calls, right? There's going to be a 48 and a 49 and a 50. Moms, earthly moms will move heaven and earth. But we have a heavenly mom who has moved heaven and earth, who has moved eternity, who sent into the world God's only son. Not to die for us, to take it on to us. This is what we need. This is the comfort we need. And this is the love that God has given everything to give to you. So I want to close with that. 
But I hope as we put these words on the board again today, there'll be a Mother's Day blessing to you from your heavenly, true heavenly parent. And there'll be words that'll pick you up when you're feeling forgotten, when you're feeling forsaken. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, though she will forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Receive that today. And then in that light, we can say, Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Lord God, we have no words for the love that you bring us. Thank you for understanding when we're broken. Thank you for understanding when we're feeling forsaken and forgotten. You don't come with a rebuke, God. You come as a mother would come, with a child who had bruised their knee. You come gently, you come lovingly, you come hopefully, and you pour into us and say, I know you're thinking about yourself right now and in your own woundedness, but I want you to think about me and who I am, says the Lord, and what I'm like and the wounds that I was willing to bear for you. And by your wounds, O oh Lord Jesus, we are healed. We give you thanks and praise today. In Jesus' name, let all of us say, Amen.